Mississippi, Dave Hughes, live in the Element Well studio, and joined now by the president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, Douglas Carswell, joins us. How are you today, Douglas? Hello, Dave. I'm great. It's you, lovely to be here. You always walk in so happy and chipper. Well, I'm in Mississippi. That's why I'm happy. It is the greatest state in the greatest republic in human history. And, you know, I, I've teased it a couple of times. You basically just wrote an article to the effect that not only is it the greatest state in America, but economically it's better than England. Yeah, I was I was getting a little bit fed up with all my British friends, bless them, back in the old country who still take this slightly condescending view about Mississippi. And and I, I, I thought I'm going to do something about this. So I did a little bit of research and I looked into the numbers and I discovered some really quite staggering facts. That Were you surprised? I, I, by what you found out? I was, because in Mississippi, people have been so browbeaten into thinking they're 50th out of 50, they're the last, the bottom of the class. Actually, if you look at the math, things are looking pretty different. For example, the average output per person in Mississippi, the, the amount of economic activity, if you like, in Mississippi per person, is now higher than that in the United Kingdom for the first time ever. The uh, economists call it the per capita GDP in Mississippi is over $47,000. In the UK, it's a mere $45,000. We are more prosperous than the UK. And, and not only that, the UK has basically stagnated for 15 years. People in Britain are not much wealthier than they were 15 years ago. Here in Mississippi, incomes have gone up by about 20-25% in five or six years. Now, I think what's really interesting is not just that Mississippi is more prosperous than the UK. Mississippi is actually doing quite well compared to other bits of America. And and the reason I really wanted to point this out in my article in The Times, and incidentally, it's annoyed all the right people over back in Britain. Um, the reason I really wanted to publish it is because why? Mississippi has started to do free market things. We have cut tax. The, the largest cut in tax in Mississippi's recent history, flat 4%. Long may we keep doing that. Hopefully we will eliminate the personal income tax altogether. Um, the number of people on the public payroll, in other words, the number of people living at the taxpayer's expense in Mississippi is down. In the past 10 years, it's gone down from about 650 people per 10,000 population down to about 600. Really fascinatingly, in the current political contest taking place across the state, I, I note with marvel how different politicians are competing with each other to see who can claim to have reduced the public payroll fastest. It's wonderful. Labor market deregulation. Mississippi passed two years ago a wonderful bill that the governor signed into law that makes it easier for outsiders to come here. And by implication, it reduces the uh, amount of regulation and red tape on people in various occupations in Mississippi. This is starting to pay off. And that, that, by the way, I would like to point out, and this happens this way a lot in my experience, all of this good information came about in this fantastic research that you've done because somebody got under your skin. Yes, I got annoyed, so, I got annoyed with Brits telling me that somehow moving from London to Mississippi was anything other than a step up. I know it's a step up. And I wanted to prove to them that actually the quality of life is better here. The economic outlook is better, the economic opportunities. And bluntly, my 14-year-old daughter is going to have better life chances being in Mississippi than virtually anywhere else.
Well, and that's the thing that we lose sight of. And, and might I add, and I may be speaking out of term because I have not been to London. You obviously have. You lived there forever. Uh, but I, I would feel comfortable saying that also, in addition to all the economic benefits and everything else, we've got much better food. Yeah, no, definitely. But the thing, okay. I, I, the thing I love about Mississippi food is you can eat food from around the world here. I mean, yes. I came here thinking Southern cuisine. I really got into it. I love it. Who, who doesn't like, you know, uh, fried chicken on waffles at eight o'clock in the morning? But I also discovered that you can eat some of the best Thai food I've ever tasted at Tuk Tuk Boom. Some of the I, I was eating some Indian food the other day from a gentleman who, like me, was an immigrant. You can eat good food from around the world here. But, you know, the reason why Mississippi is beginning to be a great success story and the UK is not, bless their heart, as I think you say in Mississippi, is because here in Mississippi, people are doing free market things. In Britain, they're doing the opposite. They're raising taxes. They're giving politicians more control. They're regulating. And they're doing exactly the opposite things that we're doing here in Mississippi. And yeah, it does bring up the question, why? Because it's not like we're in uncharted territory here. This is the way it works. I think everybody is aware of this from all the lessons throughout history. The more you regulate, the more you tax people, the more yep. you bear down like that, Dave, the worse things wind up becoming, don't Dave, they? Dave, we know that in our heads, but in our hearts, and you've got to remember, you know, we evolved in, uh, you know, evolutionary biology means we have an outlook where, the idea of free trade seems counterintuitive. The idea that actually you get more prosperous by buying from people you don't know um, seems counterintuitive. The idea that actually if you get rid of deregulations, it'll, it, the world will be safer. It, it, it seems co so contrary to what we think of as common sense. So, yes, we know in our heads that the free market works, but politicians often appeal to our base instincts. How often do you hear a politician, for example, in the current climate, saying that if only we trusted more federal intervention, they would save the rural hospitals? Now, you know and I know that no amount of federal funding is going to resolve some of the health care problems here in Mississippi. Just, I, I love, by the way, you just walk in here and immediately kick the top off the fire ant mound, but go ahead. Well, well, why not? Um, but, you know, you, you've got to you've got to, I think, recognize that every generation of Americans, as Ronald Reagan beautifully put it, you know, we're not born thinking about the free market. Every generation of Americans needs to be retaught these values. And that, that is why America has been such a success, because one generation has passed them on to the next. And what we do at the Mississippi Center for Public Policy is make sure that the next generation of young Mississippians is educated to understand that it's the free market, it's cutting taxes and less government that is going to be the key to our success. If we want the next generation of young Mississippians to stay in Mississippi, not to go to Nashville in Tennessee or Austin in Texas, let's have the same tax rate they have in Tennessee and Texas. Zero personal income tax. That, that that makes a lot of sense, which may be a part of the problem with the suggestion. <laughs> Let's be honest, Douglas. That's the way it goes back to what you were saying. It's kind of the way it works. It's counterintuitive yeah. to some people. It is, but, you know, no, no one's perfect. Politicians around the world are prone to the same temptations and the same base instincts. But I have to say, I think partly because the decisions are made so locally in a, a state of three million people. I think in, in Mississippi, more public policy decisions are made the right way than in many other centralized, more populous, less happy countries. And you know, California and the United Kingdom are two brilliant examples of large centralized states that are run by um, you know, economic lunatics who are destroying wealth in their, in their respective uh, polities. This is the difference, and this is why I love having Douglas here. I was just going to say crazy people. He said economic lunatics. That sounds so much fancier and well-educated. I, 
was just going to say crazy people. Same, had, same thing to, kind of applies. I had to bite my tongue. I was about to say something else, but then I suddenly <laughs> thought it might not sound very polite in America. Well, that's kind of the way it works sometimes, though. Sometimes you 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 know you have to call an apple an apple, and then uh, I was going to call them something other than apple, but uh, anyway, uh, this I, is a family I, show. I can well imagine, uh, but uh, again, sometimes it's deserved, especially when they have annoyed you to the point to where you start doing research <laughs> for fun. That's usually a sign that they've got some name calling coming. I would yeah, think. Yeah. So you said you've gotten some reaction to that article where you pointed this out. Yeah, I mean, it obviously, it appeared in the Times, and lots of people read the Times, and it, it has an impact. I mean, weirdly, lots of people have got in touch. The most bizarre example was, for example, um, India has a TV uh, version of the BBC, and I wasn't previously aware of it. And they got in touch with me um, and said, could I do an interview? So I did an interview about the Mississippi miracle um, on television in India. Apparently, they have more people watching than watch CNN and the BBC combined, which given the number of people in India is perhaps no surprise. Anyway, it was wonderful to be able to explain to Indians how Mississippi is the future. You don't expect that, do you? Well, <laughs> to get that call from India and say, hey, we really want to interview you, Douglas Carswell, about Mississippi in India. Well, I, it's it, being in the Times, I think, means people take it rather seriously perhaps being the times is the equivalent of having an english accent people tend to think you know what you're talking about but um, well it, it allows you to use phrases like economic lunatics which i'm still impressed by so yeah. I, I was talking about the governor of california uh, well well it's, it's you're kind of saying the the loud part out loud instead of the quiet yeah. part there i think we were we would all be in agreement with that talking about that though and we're about to come up on a break when we come back You've got something else, and I actually chuckled all the way through this uh, because you have weighed in on the whole thing that Ben and Jerry's came up with for the 4th of July, which was the most ridiculous, over-the-top, ludicrous example of woke mindset I have ever seen. Mm. And uh, they got pretty well put in their place, I think. But you had some thoughts on that, and I'd love to, to get into that with you when we come Looking back. Looking forward to it. Douglas Carswell, president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy and one of the rising stars in Indian television. And we will continue with Douglas right after this. Super Talk Mississippi, Dave Hughes. Douglas Carswell, the president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. Uh, 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 turning out to be a big proponent of Mississippi worldwide. We can say that now, Douglas. It's, it's everywhere. Uh, you're, you're like our state's influencer now in other countries. Well, quite right. Quite right. I got to love it. Uh, and also uh, has a bone to pick with both Ben and Jerry because, well, they. I, I know this is going to surprise you. You might want to get close to your fainting couch in case the blood rushes out of your head when I tell you this breaking news. They said something stupid again. They're really good at that. They keep doing it. Yeah. I mean, the the latest thing they did was, I, I just find deeply offensive. Look, I, I, I'm a new arrival to a country. Um, I've only been in America for, I think, three July 4ths. And the thing that really strikes me about July 4th is what a celebration it is. It's not just a celebration because you beat the Brits, right? It's a celebration... Whatever your background, however you got here, however your ancestors got here, you're celebrating the fact that you're here. It's one of those great occasions that brings everyone together. And yet they chose that day to send out the most gratuitously offensive tweet saying that America was built on stolen indigenous land. And to me, this is just so breathtakingly obnoxious. Not only do I not buy their product anymore, but it made me sort of really take issue with it. And I wrote an article basically saying this is 
preposterous. This is nonsense. I mean, for a start, the idea that America is built on stolen indigenous land, when the first settlers arrived here, the indigenous tribes were busy stealing land off one another. I mean, it's also obnoxious because, stop and think about it, there is not a single person living on the planet today whose ancestors were exactly where they're living. And there's a continuous line going back to the dawn of time. Humans have been moving around. The idea that you have a claim on your ancestral homeland is preposterous. As, as an ancestral Scot, should I claim north of England because some people came from over the, overseas as immigrants and once pushed my ancestors out? It, it's ridiculous. It's preposterous. It's also hypocritical because, you know, as a, a, a local um, Indian uh, Native American, I suppose one, one should call them, a representative in Vermont said that, you know, that Ben and Jerry's uh, factory site itself was on land that <laughs> had once been occupied by his ancestors. So it's, it's, it's vacuous and divisive. But I think the really interesting question is, why do companies do this? Why do companies go woke? Now, I'd originally thought when, when Bud Light famously went woke, I had assumed that a whole bunch of really clever MBAs had looked at the data and figured out this is the way to sell more beer. But actually, I think woke is not a sign of corporate wisdom. It's a sign of vacuousness. The people running the corporation or the institution or the university who go woke have run out of any original insights. It's all they've got left. It's a sort of it's a it's how dumb people try to look smart. You you present a kind of woke narrative and a woke agenda. And I, I, I think it's a, a, a sign of a woke corporation that's lost its way. It's certainly well, lost its customer. I, and I, I think this speaks to something we were talking about earlier in the show, back in the, uh, the 10 o'clock hour. Uh, you, we seem to have a group of corporations and entertainment companies and everything else that have lost sight of the most basic principle in marketing, which is give your market what they want. If you want to improve on that, give it to them better, give it to them faster, give it to them with better quality. But now we have this group that has decided that the way forward is to tell their market what they're going to want. And now you take it. It's not working for anybody. And that's kind of obvious. I mean, I, I think part of it is quite low grade, third rate people in the advertising business think that by grabbing attention like a small child in the playground, you know, who, who hasn't quite worked out how to make friends. You think if you can get attention, you, you will somehow be liked. And I, I think that the people who market some of these products simply haven't worked this out. Um, creating, drawing attention to themselves is not the same as securing sales. But I... I I also think perhaps that 20 years of woke HR departments in corporate America mean we've now got to the stage where there are quite a number of quite senior people now in institutions and corporations and universities who have reached quite senior positions and are pretty mediocre. And we've now got to the stage where that mediocrity can no longer be concealed. And we're starting to see it. We're starting to see um, a number of institutions in, in the UK, there's been a recent scandal, a banking scandal over a, a, a bank making judgments about private citizens' political views and deciding whether or not to deny them banking services on that basis. I, I think this is indicative of how woke HR has allowed a lot of mediocrity to float to the top, whereas, frankly, it shouldn't have been hired in the first place. Well, the, the liberal mindset, and, and tell me if you think this would be a fair statement, uh, a lot of the problems with the woke ideology, uh, as it's being referred to with, with the liberal mindset, is uh, 
anti-winner. There should not be a winner, and we should not acknowledge when somebody wins. And this goes back to the whole land thing. Uh, yeah, that land used to belong to somebody else. Before that, it belonged to somebody else. The spoils go to but the winner. Even then, I would take issue with the sense of belonging. I mean, the idea of property rights yeah, you're is, right. is you're associated right. with sedentary communities that have adopted farming. And many indigenous American communities lived a hunter-gatherer, Stone Age lifestyle. And the notion of uh, ownership of the land was not what you and I would regard as ownership of the land. So I, I, would, I would take issue with that. And I think it's really important to, 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 to make that point. Um, I, I think a lot of people are woke because they don't really... I mean, this is maybe a controversial thing to say, so I'm going to say it. But I, I wonder if woke is basically becoming a religion for people who don't have religion. It's a belief system and a virtue system that allows people who don't really believe in anything. G.K. Chesterton once famously said that if you stop believing in God, you don't believe in nothing. You believe in anything. And I think we're starting to see that with woke. You believe in these sort of mad ideas. Totally. You know, we, we assumed that once people had... Um, somehow abandoned religion, they would become rational. Actually, what we're seeing is irrationality. The idea that you can become a woman simply by declaring yourself to be a woman. There's a lot of sort of anti-science wrapped up in their belief system. It is a form of religious belief for people who don't have faith. And it, it's quite a destructive uh, religious system because it doesn't have the notion of redemption. It doesn't have the notion of virtue. It doesn't have the notion of grace. Um, they know platform these new Puritans, they know platform people who don't conform with the dogmas that they preach. So it's, if it is to be compared with a religion, it's a very destructive uh, new type of secular religion. I think you're exactly right. And to me, anyway, that's not very controversial. I know there are some people that would, you know, like to take a swing at both of us for having this conversation, but I think it's the truth. But I do go back, and even in that case, you're talking about there's no redemption, there's no grace, there, there, there's no chance for any of that to these people. And to me, that again speaks back to there should be no winners. Winners should be punished if you succeed, if you amass more money than somebody else does, or you have land that used to belong to somebody else, or you've achieved this or achieved that. Well, you shouldn't do that because well, it's not fair. I mean, they certainly don't believe in meritocracy, but I do think there are winners under the woke ideology. I can't help noticing that a lot of the people who preach the woke creed happen to live in very big houses. Those who preach to us about climate change often travel around the world in private jets and descend off them to hector the rest of us about whether or not we should use our car. So I, I I think woke does have winners, but they are the high priests of this new secular religion. It's um, it's a very destructive force in America. It's a kind of um, secular puritanism that risks tearing the country apart. And I, I, I think it needs to be confronted and recognized as this very destructive and ultimately sterile belief system. Do you think we will? I think so, yes. I mean, I see encouraging signs. It's tempting to think of the younger generation as woke, and I think actually it doesn't help to categorize them as that at all. I think there are signs that amongst younger people, they're starting to call out some of these absurdities. What, what, what you need for good, honest people to speak up is the knowledge that they won't be punished for speaking up. So we need to make sure we have authentic free speech on public universities in Mississippi. We need to make sure that it is possible for people to say, no, a man cannot become a woman by simply declaring themselves to be a woman. That it should be possible for me to go onto social media and to say that XX chromosomes 
does not equal XY chromosomes. It should be possible to say these things. Once you can say that the emperor has no clothes, the full gross nudity of this vile ideology will be revealed. And now we're on to gross nudity, right? <laughs> now, this has been a whale of a, of a conversation here. I like this. Uh, but you're exactly right. And, and that's... Uh, it's the the monkey riding the elephant in the room. We got to get rid of the monkey and knock him off before we can even discuss the elephant in the room. Well, whenever you see woke mobs get their way, what's so striking is not that you get some young people who believe in delusions. That happens throughout history. It's that people in authority, university administrators, people in charge of companies cave into them. That is what needs to change. Well, and in part, I'm sorry, and going back to what you were talking about with the people living in their really nice houses, yeah. preaching how bad it is to have a really nice house. Well, to uh, quote the TV show Breaking Bad and several other movies, uh, yeah, well, it's not never a good business to get high on your own supply. <laughs> I love that show. Yeah. When, when is Netflix going to make something that good again? Uh, probably never. That show was incredible. Better Call Saul was the only other show that I think compares to it. I haven't seen that one yet. We're about to start oh, that. You've got gonna... to. That is, that, is, that is probably my all-time favorite TV show. Douglas Carswell, can you stick around a minute? I'd love to. Talk Mississippi live in the Element Well Studios. Dave Hughes on Middays with Douglas Carswell, the Mississippi Center for Public Policy president and CEO. We were talking right before we came back on the air. Uh, this is your first official Mississippi election since you moved here, isn't it? It is the first kind of full statewide cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what are your thoughts? What are your impressions of it, especially compared to what you went through in London and in England? Well, one of the things that most strikes me about politics in Mississippi is the extent to which the people you vote for can actually deliver change. Ordinary members of the House and the Senate can introduce bills. And if they can get enough people in the House to, to support it, it becomes law. And I think that's something that in the UK, people have, have lost sight of. As a member of parliament in Britain for 12 years, I was only, I think, on three occasions ever able to introduce primary legislation, and even that was sort of watered down. So I, I think Mississippi has a wonderful system. You, you, you know these people. You're familiar with them. They're not a remote cast of professional politicians like you get in D.C. I, I love the fact that a sizable chunk of the Mississippi state legislature lives in campus during the three months that it sits. They're ordinary folk who have ordinary jobs, and they do their role as a lawmaker and then go back to, to that. You've got citizen lawmakers, and that, that's wonderful. I also love the fact that actually a lot of politics in Mississippi is becoming a contest to do the right thing, to cut taxes, to reduce the public payroll. And I think this is something that really needs to be to be encouraged. Um, you know, Milton Friedman, who was 111 yesterday, had he still been with us, it would have been his 111th birthday. He once famously said, the job of a think tank like the Mississippi Center for Public Policy should be to make sure that even the wrong people end up having to do the right thing. And that's what we want from our politicians. Even people who are perhaps not your choice. They've got to cut taxes. They've got to keep government small. They've got to be accountable to the people. Well, and that's the thing that I think we lose sight of sometimes. Uh, despite the continuous evidence placed in front of us, your guy doesn't always win, and you're going to have to work with the winner. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the point. The founding fathers and the people who draft the Mississippi Constitution came up with a w rather wonderful system. Like in the Roman Republic, you have these competing, what the Romans would call magistrates, competing elected officials. And so there's not really a monopoly of power. There's, there's an inbuilt tension between whoever's in the governor's mansion and who's ever 
whoever's presiding over the Senate as lieutenant governor. You've got a built-in tension between the two houses. You've got, you know, an independently elected state auditor. Th this is a great system because it means that power is is spread out. Even even if you've got a slam dunk of Republicans elected to all the eight statewide offices, you have this natural tension between the different offices. And that is a very, very good thing. So Mississippi election compared to elections over in England, more or less shouting? <laughs> um, one of the things I love about living in a country with a First Amendment is you can't restrict free speech. And this means that politicians are free to advertise. In, in the UK, tragically, you have state-backed laws against advertising politically, which of course favors the incumbents. Here, you don't have that. You've got this great debate taking place in Mississippi at the moment. I, I love listening to some of the candidates, and instantly I've signed up to get all the emails and the texts from all of the candidates. Not not because I support them, I, I, I'm not allowed to vote, but because I love hearing what they're saying. And it's it's Sometimes Mississippi politics is quite raw. Sometimes it's quite direct, um, quite quite blunt sometimes, but it's authentic. And that's important, I think. And, and I, I think that speaks to one of the reasons why we've made the improvements we've made. And you were able to write that article for The Times pointing out that. And Absolutely. I'm just going to phrase it this way. We're better than England. <laughs> well, I think... You're absolutely right when you say that it is the ability of local people to elect politicians in Mississippi to do things differently that explains why Mississippi is getting better. We're not just hearing from politicians about waiting on the federal dollar. The solutions to Mississippi's problems don't come from D.C. The problems come from Washington. The, the way to fix this state is to have a governor who continues, as he's done, to cut taxes, to have a lieutenant governor who continues to reduce the number of public employees. Imagine if they were actually to authentically embrace school choice, to give every family in Mississippi control over their child's share of tax dollars. They're doing it in Arkansas. Imagine if we were to have full income tax elimination. You know, that's what we need to try and get the, the people standing for office from whatever party to do. Think we'll get there? In time, yes. Um, my biggest objective is to give every family in Mississippi control over their child's share of tax dollars. Why? Because you're only ever going to raise standards in Mississippi's education system, and you're only ever going to fundamentally stop the woke agenda in the education system if you give mum and dad control. If you give every mum and dad the freedom to take their tax dollars to any school in the, in the state, public or private or, or indeed homeschool. If you did that, you wouldn't just see a dramatic improvement in education standards, which is great for the kids growing up and wanting to get jobs. You would also change the political culture in Mississippi. So you would knock stone dead the gradual encroachment of woke ideology into the public space. And we need to do that. Sounds an awful lot like you're trying to turn the uh, the government and the education system into the free market to me. I think what we need to do is actually go back to what education should be. Education should be teaching people how to think. Woke ideology has made education an indoctrination in what to think. And I think one of the extraordinary things about education is given that the average child spends something like sort of nine, ten years in a state system, what a bad job it does. And I think this has brought home to a lot of mums and dads during COVID. During COVID, you could see what your child was supposedly being taught. And it, it suddenly dawned on people that actually the 
productive instruction taking place is probably 10 or 15 minutes a day. Um, and, and, and a lot of what is being taught is not productive and is not instructive. And I think that that almost radicalized a lot of mums and dads into wanting to return education back to what it was supposed to be. I think you're exactly right. Uh, there, There is nothing more transformative than pulling the covers away and yeah. exposing it to the light of day. Yeah. Interestingly, talking about digging into research and writing articles that annoy people, I did a bit of research into claims that education standards in Mississippi have dramatically improved. And actually, I could find no evidence of this. In fact, the benchmark that everyone cites showed, if anything, a slight deterioration in reading rates amongst, I think, third and fourth graders. The reason why everyone was trumpeting this as a success is, number one, because they run the system and they want to be seen to be successful. But number two, the reason why they were trumpeting this success is because standards had fallen in Mississippi, but they had fallen even further and faster in other states. So there was a lot of kind of, I, I think, deceptive citing of statistics. If mums and dads realized that actually kids are not getting a great education, and if they could see beyond the pretense statistics that are presented to them by the people who run the system, they would start to demand what mums and dads in Arkansas have demanded. And for goodness sake, if the Razorbacks can do it, we can do it. If the Razorbacks can give every child in the state control over all the mums and dads of every child in the state control over their money, we can do it here. Well, uh, as the old expression goes, there's three types of uh, lies, lies, damn lies and statistics. <laughs> that, that's the three, uh, because statistics, you can twist to mean anything you want it to mean. Mm. And that gets us in trouble sometimes, but mm. we'll get there. Uh, we're about out of time. I just want to make sure that you know about this, uh, because we were talking about Breaking Bad. You were talking about Better Call Saul. Did you know there's a part in the middle? No. There was a movie called El Camino. Oh, yes. No, I've seen that. Okay. Okay. Seen uh, that. We're about to watch that. That's next uh, on the list. I won't I won't give away the plot, but um, it's – that is what entertainment should be. It is, it is pure entertainment. No ideology, no wokeness, just sheer joy to watch. Which is really odd when you consider we're talking about an entire entertainment property dealing with drug dealers. But, <laughs> but here we are. The weird thing about – all three of those shows is you end up actually wanting the bad guys to get away with it. And that's what's kind of slightly disturbing about it, actually. I don't know if it says anything about us as people <laughs> or, or what, but it wasn't just us. So that's the good news. Douglas, always enjoy talking to Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I always feel like when we get done that we could go for another three hours. If you want to do that, if you want me back on your show, let me know. I'd love to. Anytime. You are welcome. Anytime you'd like to come in here. Thanks, Dave. I'm, I'm sure we'll tick somebody off before we're done. <laughs> you got to have a hobby. As you heard, his hobby is annoying people a lot of times by doing his homework, but uh, good job. And uh, let us know uh, exactly when your first Bollywood feature is coming out. <laughs> we we want to make sure and promote it for you over here. India's rising media star, I'm telling you, Douglas Carswell. I should never have mentioned that. Well, yeah, I'm going I'm to use this forever now. Every time I see you, Douglas, I'm going to mention this and ask how the career's going over there. Uh, final segment of the show on this Tuesday, on the way right after this, in the Element Well Studios, live on Midday.